Thank you very much. That gave me time to realize that we were having a problem with a microphone, so we've sorted that out. Is this all right if I use this one? Smashing. Great. Uh, if you want to come forward, do. There's some gaps today, which is, uh, I guess, well, I was going to make a flippant comment about Brexit hitting harder than I thought, but <laughs> people have taken it literally. Uh, today, I came to church with a message to preach. I got a fancy PowerPoint. I was ready to go. And as I walked in, I felt I needed to share something different today. Um, so I have in front of me some scribbled thoughts. Um, don't panic, because it's a simple, I believe, well, it's a simple message about a powerful king, and a king who holds the nations in his hand, and a king who is building his united kingdom. You'll notice that united has a small u, and that's not a typo, that's on purpose. Um, he's not building one nation, he's building a kingdom. A kingdom which will endure, a kingdom which has one king and one government and one Lord, and it's Jesus. And I want to talk about him and what he's doing and how that's significant for us today in amongst the tumultuous events that have taken place in the last week. Um, We will have in this room people who've cast their vote, used their democratic privilege and right to put an X or a tick or a smiley face in a box, whatever it was you did. Hopefully it was a cross, because that's the plan. And we will inevitably have people who voted in different ways, and that's okay, because that's our democratic privilege. And we encouraged everybody to vote, and to pray before we did, and to pray that the gospel would be proclaimed in the nation and in the nations of the world as a result of whatever happened. That's what we asked you to do before you voted. And I'm trusting that God heard our cry and that as a result of the vote that was taken, the gospel will be proclaimed powerfully across this nation and the nations of the world. Whether you voted for it or against it, that was our prayer. And when we pray, we trust God that God hears our prayer. Is that how we pray? We, trust, we pray and we trust God and we leave the rest to God, don't we? Unless you want to pray those kind of meddling prayers where you pray and then you check up every now and then how God's getting on with what you asked him to do. Because that is another option. You can say, Lord, I'm handing this over to you. Cast all your anxiety on him. Cast your cares onto him, 1 Peter 5, 7 says. And some of us are great at that, but we do it like we're going fishing and we cast them and then we wait a few seconds and we reel them back in again just to see what's on the end of the hook. How are you getting on with those cares, Lord? And there's plenty of people today who are concerned and whose relationships are fragmenting. People they thought of as friends, they're now glaring at on Facebook. And they're, they're writing messages to each other and getting cross with each other. And people are falling out. And I'm here to tell you today that God is still on the throne. And he's building his kingdom. Jesus says this, and I haven't got the verses on the screen today. You may not be surprised by that. Um, But I'm going to flick around a little bit in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. That's a good start, isn't it? I ended up in Mark then. That wouldn't be much good. Okay, Matthew chapter 6. This is Jesus early on in his ministry teaching his disciples how to pray. And uh, he has his disciples ask him at various points, Jesus, how do we pray? Teacher, how do we pray? And this is what he says to them in Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13. He says this, This then is how you should pray. 
I'm going to read a form of words which we believe Jesus gave not as a set prayer, though you can use it as a powerful set prayer, where you repeat the words exactly as they are here. That's powerful to do. But I believe that Jesus is giving principles of the, the aspects of prayer that we should include. And he, he says to pray this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's a good prayer, isn't it? No? Yeah? It's a good prayer. It's a good prayer to pray that we pray that the, we're not led into temptation and we're delivered from the evil one. To pray that God forgives us our debts, our, our sin, as we've forgiven those that have sinned against us. We may not like the kind of close connection that Jesus asks us to pray there, that God forgives us as we have forgiven, because that's a bit uncomfy. Which much rather that Jesus asked us to pray that God would forgive us and then when we got the hang of that, we'd learn how to forgive other people. But Jesus doesn't do that. He puts this challenging phrase in that we would pray that God would forgive us as with this connected sense of forgiveness with others because our relationships are important to God. It's a sign of our ability to receive forgiveness if we've been able to offer the same forgiveness to other people. Jesus says at the beginning of that prayer, your kingdom come and your will be done. He encourages us to pray that his kingdom would come, that the Father's kingdom. And it's a kingdom not of this world. It's not a king with an earthly government. It's not a king that you vote for. It's not a king that we we choose in that sense because he's chosen us. We might say yes to Jesus, but the truth is that he's already chosen us. But we're told to pray that God's kingdom would come and God is bringing his kingdom. He really is. I don't know if you've woke up on Friday morning and thought God's done it. He's brought his kingdom. Or if you thought, oh, help. But it doesn't matter whichever way it was, God is building his kingdom and he's bringing his kingdom. Colossians 1 verse 13 says this, For he's rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of, his, of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So this kingdom that God is bringing isn't just distant, but he's invited us into it. We're citizens of the king, kingdom. We're children of the kingdom. We're, we belong in the kingdom of the king of kings. If you've got a Bible open or a, an app on your phone that you, you're using for the Bible, just turn to Hebrews 12. And I think Dom referenced this earlier as he was reading and then praying. Hebrews 12 says this. And verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful And so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. I'll put my teeth back in and try and read that again. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. That passage was written before 100 A.D., Mathematicians will quickly be able to work out how far away we are from before 100 AD, a little while. Not quite 2,000 years, but thereabout. 
in all those generations that have gone between that verse being written and now, kingdoms have risen and kingdoms have fallen and empires have been established and empires have crumbled and despotic rulers have established themselves over nations and over peoples and tyrants have risen and they've fallen again and all through that time, through all of those generations, we have still been receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Do you believe that today? We have. God's been allowing us to be beneficiaries of his kingdom that cannot be shaken since that very early day and he's still doing it today. I just want to point out the obvious, I guess, that Hebrews 12 comes after Hebrews 11. And Hebrews 11 is, is a chapter filled with stories of people who wrestled and battled and held on in faith to God when their circumstances around them didn't look good. Some had great times. Some had difficult times. It says that uh, in verse 33 of that chapter, people uh, through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again. It sounds like they're receiving a kingdom that can't be shaken. But so are this lot. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings, and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and ill-treated. The world was not worthy of them. Those people, too, were still receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Because it's not of this life or this world, or it's not bounded by time. Secondly, we see this, that God is building his church. Andy referred earlier to a passage in Matthew's gospel, and it's worth us quickly looking at this. Matthew chapter 16. This is where Jesus has been asking his disciples, who do people say I am? And Peter said, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he ordered his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. On this rock of Peter's confession of who Jesus was, I will build my church. God promised, and he still is building his church. The gates of hell will not overcome it. I've said it before, but this shows that the church is advancing. It shows that God's church that he's building is advancing, not not just static. How do we know that? Because nobody attacks anything with gates. Because the gates of hell will not overcome it. Hell isn't running, us, running at us with gates. You don't go on the march with gates, do you? So the kingdom is advancing up to and, and into and taking territory that belong to, the, to, belong to Hades, belong to death, belong to hell, belong to the enemy. And, and we're, the church is advancing to take back grounds that God is calling us to, to grab hold of. 
Why? Not because we're some militant group. Not because we're just on the rampage, but because God, love for the world and his love for people, his, his ability to call people out of the darkest of the depths of darkness, his ability to summon people from, from their despair is so powerful. His love is so overwhelming. His call is so consuming that as he calls people, they're responding in their thousands. People around the world are responding. Thousands are going to turn to Christ today. Why? Because it's Sunday? No, because the statistics tell us that thousands turn to Christ every day around the world. That thousands of people are being born again today and added to God's kingdom. Why? Because God is still calling people and people are still responding just like us. God is still building his church. I think it's a day, actually, when the church is needed more than, more than most. I think in our society today, fragmented as it appears on the news, maybe whipped up by the news, who knows? There's a need for the church to rise. And not, not take power, that's not our job. We don't want to take control. But there's a a role for the church to rise up today and proclaim a message of hope. To proclaim that there is still a king on the throne. To proclaim that there is still one who's building his kingdom. And to proclaim through our actions, and I'll come on to that in a minute, to proclaim through our actions a different way of living that presents Christ in a vibrant way. This body that, this, this church that God is building has Christ as the head. Ephesians 5, 23, we read about uh, the the husband and wife relationship. I was at a wedding a couple of weeks ago for Andy and Holly and the passages were read that spoke about their relationship and they're, they're built into the marriage service. And these passages speak about how uh, husband and wife relate together and the husband's role is to love the wife as Christ loved the church. And he goes on to say that he gave himself up for it. That's pretty sacrificial. But Christ, the head of the church gives himself up for this thing that he's building. Thirdly, we see this, that God builds us together. Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, please. Verse 19 to 22. And this is, I think, a very significant passage for how many are feeling today. Hopefully not here, but some around the nation. Ephesians 2 verse 19 to 22 says this. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God is building us together. There are many pictures of the church in the New Testament, and all of them have a a measure of togetherness about them. We read about God's flock. Jesus is the shepherd of the flock. We read about the vine, where we're all branches connected into the vine. We read about the body, where Christ is the head, and, and we take different parts and have different gifts We read about the building of the church, where each one is a block built 
together. And that's the image that we see here, the building of the church growing and growing. Each one showing our connection together. Paul's writing to a group of people who most probably weren't Jewish. He's writing to a mixed congregation, and and there's a number of people there who weren't Jewish by birth. They had no part in God's people. They didn't belong to the church, God's church, God's people. They weren't welcomed in the same way. They weren't treated kindly always. And sometimes they deserved that because their actions and their attitudes were awful and shocking towards God's people. And there was this ancient hostility that still existed between peoples. But Paul is writing and saying, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens, you who were cast off, you who were distant, you who were far off, you who didn't belong, now belong. You're part of the family. You belong together. There's unity in diversity as those who were far off and those who belonged actually are brought together in one place. And I think that the picture we see in the New Testament is incredibly beautiful and incredibly powerful. A similar passage speaks about how in Christ there is now no longer Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free nor male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. In the ancient world, it, well, we said this at uh, Getting Started group on Thursday, because this was part of our notes for that session. In, in the ancient world, there were so many layers of society. Uh, and where you fitted depended on where you were on those, those levels. So if you were a, a born a Roman citizen, you were a free person, a citizen of Rome, you, you took a pretty elevated place. If you were an elected representative, you took a very elevated place. If you were... Uh, a soldier, a successful soldier, again, you would have taken a very uh, elevated place in society. And then at different levels, there were other people, there were the conquered peoples who, who didn't have such a level. If they weren't naturally Roman citizens, some of them had come wealthy and had bought their citizenship. So they'd kind of bought into Rome. And they were accepted, sort of, but not in the same way. Others were, weren't even free people, they were slaves. And so they lived... In this sense of continual uh, oppression, continual bondage, they never had their freedom. Uh, They they were treated variously. Some would have been treated hideously. Some would have been treated reasonably well uh, and involved in schooling children and things like that as part of a large household. But still, they didn't have their freedom. And these whole stratas of society, as there are in many cultures around the world today, uh, divided people and added these, these... carefully constructed aspects of society where you had to know your place and stay in your place. And Paul is speaking to a church where it's quite possible that slaves were leading the meetings. It's quite possible that slaves were preaching and slaves were having prophetic revelation. Why? Because the gifts are given to all in the church. So if you've got slaves and free and Jew and Gentile and male and female and God dumps a whole load of spiritual gifts on that group, it's quite possible that all sorts of people are doing things that outside the doors of the church they wouldn't be allowed to do. Does that make sense? And so we have Paul writing the letter of Philemon to and um, referring there to a guy called Onesimus who's been a slave and he, he, Paul's entreating Philemon to treat him as a brother when he returns. 
to treat him as a brother. He may still be a slave, but to, the, the relationship shifted because of Christ. It shifted, and there's suddenly a change. As these people who were divided and separated now in Christ can be united. We in this church have many differences, naturally speaking. Some of us like football. Some of us prefer rugby. Some of us hate sport. Some of us, you know where I'm going. There's differences. Some are silly. Some are significant. We've got differences in our experiences, differences in our backgrounds, our cultures, the languages we speak, differences in so many different ways. But we know from our own experience that in Christ we're united in a way that is far greater than any difference there might ever be. Far, far greater. We're brought together in him. And I love traveling to different churches and different parts of the world and standing in a church where I don't know a word of what's going on. But there's a connection in the spirit because I'm with my family. I'm with my brothers and sisters in Christ. And those of you who have traveled and gone to churches in different parts of the world where you don't speak the language know what I'm talking about. You stand and you lift your hands and you worship and in some churches, I've tried to keep up with the dancing that's going on, and I can't because I've got three left feet, and it just doesn't work, but I try. And it's great because I'm with my family. And we're one in Christ. And this, this is incredibly significant. You see, at this particular moment, this juncture in our history, there's a message that some people have taken on board that they're not welcome in this country. Some people, some of our own congregation even, have been... Ch- really saddened by what's just happened because for whatever reason they've picked, they've heard or they've felt a message that they're not welcome. That's an incredible shame. You see, in Christ, those barriers must come down and do. And I believe we're a testimony of that in this congregation. And I'm so, so grateful. Because every time I speak with someone who's got a different set of experiences to me, I finish that conversation richer than when I started. Every time. And it doesn't matter if it's a difference of age or a difference of experience or a difference of social background or education or country or whatever it might be. I'm enriched as I discover the work of God in my brother or my sister And what God has done in their lives. And how there's so many similarities with what God has done in mine. And he unites us together. God has built us together around Christ. And I believe that this particular aspect is incredibly important for our nation at this time. That togetherness, though, needs maintaining. Also in Ephesians chapter 4. Verses 1 to 3, Paul writes this, As a prisoner of the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. And then he says this, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, peace when we think about it, often implies to some people that there's not a lot going on. Peace often implies tranquility. Peace implies that there's, 
we're just kind of static and calm. I, I guess if you Googled images for peace, you'd probably get flowers and serene lakes and that sort of thing. That sort of image would come up. Misty mountains, maybe. But Paul here in this passage says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. What If we kind of also did a, a, a kind of picture search for making every effort, I guess misty mountains and quiet lakes wouldn't come up. Because making every effort implies straining and working and kind of making a real effort, really trying hard to make every effort, Paul says here. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. I want to tell you today that staying united is tough. Being united in Christ is wonderful. Me going to a church in another part of the world or or this church or another part of the country and turning up and enjoying the worship and feeling connected and having a few chats and going home again feels great, but living together with people is a nightmare. Isn't it? It's not. Okay. Some of you live on your own and and living together by yourself is, is all right most of the time. Apart from when you have a fallout and then it gets serious. Because arguing with yourself is never good, is it? <laughs> but when you have other people in your home in close proximity, you, you know it's painful and it's uncomfortable. And it requires humility and adaptation on both people or all people's parts to live alongside each other. And as a church community, our togetherness isn't just a gift from God, but the onus is on us to maintain that and to work together to make every effort to keep our unity. And, you know, and, and at times that means we have to be careful how we disagree. I encourage people privately, and certainly with our leaders, I've had this conversation many times. But if, you, if someone raises an objection and disagrees publicly, be careful how you deal with that. Someone objects to you. I've said, mentioned Facebook before. I might as well mention it again. If someone argues with you on Facebook or makes a snide comment, then be very careful how you respond to that. Personally, I much prefer going up to somebody and saying, can we, can we have a chat about this? Because anything that goes out publicly or in a text or on an email, it's very difficult to get back. And it's just a series of monologues. If you have an argument via text or via email, it's just a series of monologues. You, you say what you want to and that gets read into and interpreted and misinterpreted and read again and maybe passed around. Uh, and someone else then replies back to you. And the whole thing gets ratcheted up. I'm not talking about discussion. Discussion's fine in those environments. But this is disagreement when there's been a personal slight. We've got to work hard at how we treat each other and, and honoring each other and loving each other. And, and we need to be able to to talk about issues that we disagree on openly. I would hate to think that maintaining unity means we just lift up, we buy a big rug, and and we lift it up, and we chuck all our disagreements underneath, and we cover it over, and we pretend it's okay. That's not unity. That's faking it. And there are profound differences of opinion on all sorts of things, and it's good to talk about those things. It's okay to. It's okay to to challenge one another and to be challenged. It doesn't feel okay at the time, but in God it is okay. Because the Bible encourages us to, to look out for one another. 
to, to support each other by bringing challenge. I need that in my life. And you do in yours. But there's someone looking out for you and saying, Stuart, if that's your name, it is mine. Stuart, can I have a chat to you about what I've noticed this last week or this last month? I'm concerned. How are you doing? And can I just, can I just ask what you think about this? I've, I just think I've noticed this. What do you reckon? I need those kind of conversations. If you all feel the same way, my diary's going to get full. Well, that's fine. Just, just allow me a bit of space to book those meetings in. And be gracious and kind, but we need to be lovingly challenging and encouraging one another. Not just pointing the finger, but cheering each other on. Encouragement is a wonderful gift. Some of us, some of you, are wonderful encouragers. You have a gift of encouragement. And being around you, I feel better. Because you just encourage. And we need people to build one another up and encourage one another. And to not just to look over the differences, but to even highlight them and then still encourage in those. There is temptation for division that will come again and again and again. It comes easily, it comes frequently, it comes quickly. It's very easy, and I know this myself, to hold on to a grudge. It's very easy for me to not deal with things in my own heart. I can deal with it in a conversation, but dealing with it in my heart somehow is harder. Because still I find myself running over conversations in my mind. I have to take those to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't want this in my head. I don't want this attitude in my heart. I want to forgive and love. And that's so difficult but so important. One way simply of building unity is to pray for one another. And I'll leave one one scripture I'll refer to, but we'll leave it here. On this thought of prayer. You see, prayer for one another is incredibly powerful. And as we get down on our knees and we pray for God to bless somebody that we've maybe had a fallout with, or maybe we're just not sure that we like them very much, things get broken in our hearts. And I encourage you, if you're struggling, spend time on your knees before God and pray God's blessing on people. Pray, pray, pray. Pray that God would do them good. Not that God would sort them out, but pray that God would do them good, that God would love them and that they would know God's love. Jesus told us to pray for those who persecute us. How much more can we pray for those we belong to? I'm going to keep on prayer, but just have a look at that word up there. Our togetherness has purpose. Jesus says in John 17, when he's praying to the Father, he prays that we might be one, that the world would see him and the unity that he has with his father may they be together may they be one may they be in us jesus prays and his heart's desire is that our unity would speak to the world that our togetherness would declare something of him jesus says may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you've sent me i wonder in this season, where there, is, there may be trouble ahead, and I'm not going to sing to you, but there may be trouble ahead. And there might be music and dancing and love and romance. There might be all that sort of stuff as well, but there might be trouble ahead.
Our hope is not in man-made kingdoms. I urge you to pray for our nation. I urge you to pray for the government. Some of us have been doing that already this morning here. Pray, pray, pray for them. We need men and women of wisdom to lead us forward through uncharted waters. But our hope is not in them. We pray for them. We support them. But our hope is in God. Why? Because man-made kingdoms will rise and fall. The nation of the United Kingdom or Great Britain probably will come and go. I'm not saying that as a defeatist or an anti-nationalist. I'm saying that because I'm a nationalist for God's kingdom. The kingdom that never fails. The kingdom that never ends, whose borders are not patrolled and are not fenced by guards looking for passports. But at whose border is one saying, come home. Come and belong in my kingdom. I pray today that we might be united, that we might be filled with faith, that we would pray together and stand together and our unity would declare to the nation that there's one who can save and can rescue and who's above all this. Shall we pray? Father, I thank you that these are days of hope. Lord, our nation has an opportunity to do something it's not done before. And our politicians have an opportunity to build relationships in a way that they've never had to before. Our businesses have an opportunity to trade in ways they've never done before. And people have an opportunity to respond to all these pressures and challenges and new days in a way they've never done before. But Lord, in the middle of all that, people looking for answers look for man-made solutions. And we declare today that you are the king above all kings. That your kingdom will never fail and never fall. And whilst we pray for favor on this nation that we're living in, Whilst we pray for favor on this nation, we also, above all, pray that your gospel would go forth, that your kingdom would be built upon people like us, that your church would be established, and that by our togetherness and by our unity, we would not form a little club that feels good and feels insular and feels safe, but instead that we might proclaim to a broken world a better way, A way where there is hope because in our togetherness we're pointing to the one who joins people from all backgrounds together with a vision and a purpose. We're we're proclaiming that there is a king who can save and rescue. And Lord, we pray for the establishing of your kingdom in this nation and the nations of Europe and the nations of the world. Lord, we repent of building things our way. Man-made monuments, Man-made solutions, we've got to. But Lord, we don't have to put our hope in them. And so we turn away from putting our hope in those things and say, God, would you lead us at this time? As a church, as a people, as a nation, and as you establish your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.